you know, as Rachel said, to value, recognize, and reward us as educators. You know, do know that your institutions want to help you succeed as an educator and support you and your ongoing development in this area and definitely demonstrating by these competencies and different metrics how you can be promoted at your institutions. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. I'm Kim Skorupski. On today's episode, we have Dr. Rachel Levine. Rachel is my friend and colleague in the Office of Faculty Development here at Hopkins. She's an Associate Professor of Medicine and our Associate Dean for Faculty Educational Development and the Associate Vice Chair for Women's Academic Careers in our Department of Medicine. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing today? I'm great. Kim, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm a huge fan. Oh, thank you. Now, listen, you have a lot of history here in education at Hopkins. You have a heart and a passion for teaching. Will you please tell the listening audience before we get into this about our wonderful educational programming at Hopkins? Sure. So we're very fortunate at Hopkins that we have a very long tradition of some really outstanding faculty development programs around teaching skills and other educational areas like curriculum development. So I've been really fortunate in the Division of General Internal Medicine to be involved with our longitudinal program in teaching skills. Now, this course has been around for 33 years. We have our 33rd cohort this year. And this course is really unique in that it's longitudinal. We bring together a small cohort of educators every week for a half day for a total of 21 weeks. And I've been involved um, heavily in the program for about the last five years. I've co-directed the program with my colleague, Dr. Leah Wolf. And this really, I think, is kind of the flagship of the institution. Um, in terms of creating an educational experience for our educators um, that we think really fits the mold of what is most important in uh, learning principles and experiences. That's right. Now, the thing about that program, um, some of the things that are wonderful about it, it brings together a really diverse group of educators to sit and be together um, for about four hours every week. Um, we use teaching strategies that are really um, based on adult learning principles, like a reflective, a reflective practice, experiential learning methods. Um, and so that's a great experience. The challenge is that we can't reach that many faculty with that course. You know, as you know, faculty are incredibly busy and um, constantly tapped to do many things, and so there are not that many faculty that can commit a half day a week for 21 weeks. Right. And so to address that need, with uh, in my role in the Office of Faculty Development that you mentioned as the Associate Dean for Faculty um, Educational Development and with my partners in the Institute for Excellence in Education, Dr. Joko Francesco, we have built a suite of courses um, that can be delivered in half-day and two-day programming that deliver teaching skills to a much broader audience. So yeah. some of those courses include the Foundations of Teaching and Learning, which is a half-day course that covers the learning environment, um, facilitating small group uh, sessions, 
um, feedback and coaching, um, clinical teaching, and active lecturing, and we deliver that in about four and a half hours, and we offer that course two to three times a year. Mm-hmm. And we have also um, been building out a set of uh, programs that match what we believe are the core competencies of educators um, at any um, academic medical center. So I could tell you about that in a moment, or I could tell you about some of the other um, teaching skills programming. Well, yeah, before you go into the competencies, because that's where I really think this is the the meat of our conversation today, I did want to give a high-level view of some other programming you've developed and you've worked with. And and I know some off the top of my head, of course, are the turning your everyday clinical activities into scholarship that Mike Barone and Jan Serwent worked with, and then you've taken that over. And I know the fun, the cool, fun stuff, innovative stuff you've started at Hopkins um, had to do with... um, Improv. Improv. Oh my gosh. Improvisation. Yeah. I mean, I took the acting classes and it just slipped away from me. But yeah, the, the yes and, yes and. So Rachel got, um, one of our local famous actors to work with us, um, look, work with a lot of physicians on improvisational skills for building communication skills with patients and whatnot. So maybe talk about a couple of things just to give people little tidbits of the cool things you're doing. Okay. Yeah. Sure. With regards to improv, that's one of the innovations that um, I help to add to our longitudinal course in teaching skills. So we begin that course every year with an improv session, and then when we um, come back after um, the holiday break, we restart with an improv course. And we've done use that exactly as you described, Kim. So we use that one to kind of build community in collaboration. So we use it as a team building exercise, but also there are so many skills related to improv that resonate with teaching. And that's been a really successful and fun addition to the teaching skills course. We have also used um, improv in um, our teaching camp course. So that I didn't mention before, but I can mention now is a two-day summer program that we offer every year for the past, I think we're in our sixth or seventh year now. I should check the dates on these. Um, And we mix up the um, content every year, but we pretty much every year, every other year, um, include an improv session, and it is universally loved by participants. It is so um, fun, and you're, you're exactly right. It's just a way to really kind of um, get a group gelling together because it's you're laughing and you're kind of loosening up, and you can immediately see the the application to everyday life, not even if, if you don't see patients, even if you're in a lab or with your family or friends or just in, colleagues, you know, this idea of being open to um, ideas. So yeah, you're right. It's super fun. I'm so glad you brought it to us. Yeah. And I, I look forward to, to trying to offer it in other ways for faculty more broadly, not just within the context of teaching skills. I think the other thing that we hadn't mentioned that I think is wonderful about improv and also any faculty development that we offer that helps individual faculty build their skills, I think builds things like satisfaction and mm-hmm. 
certainly that links to things like well-being. And in a time where faculty are so stretched thin and the risk of burnout is so high, I feel like anything that we can do that can bring more joy to the work is really important. There's that piece. The other innovation that I want to talk about that you sort of mentioned that we do in our longitudinal course, and I would love to expand more broadly, is um, in that course, we have a peer observation of teaching with feedback and coaching component. Mm-hmm. So after the first half of that course, uh, when we move into after the holidays, we come back. One of the things that we train the group of educators to do is be peer coaches. And then we have them sign up to be observed in their teaching by a colleague who's also taking the course to be observed and then to get feedback on their teaching. And that has been such an amazing experience for participants, and then also as an educator, something I take a tremendous amount of pride in, and I wish that we could expand this to more faculty. We're able to do this in a really nice way in the program because we have time set aside during our four-hour sessions for the coach and coachee to sit down and pre-brief around the work that they're going to do. So the person who's being observed would share goals that they have for their teaching ask for feedback around specific areas, maybe a strategy that they're working on or a potential challenge they might face, mm-hmm. and we can actually observe that pre-brief happening. Mm-hmm. Then this pair goes off and they do their observation and they do their debrief in the group again so that we can observe that debrief. Mm-hmm. And so the coach has an opportunity to practice their coaching and feedback skills kind of live and the coachee uh, receives their desired feedback and kind of real-time problem-solving and um, reflection um, right there in the course. So that's a really exciting um, program that offer through that course. I, that is uh, so awesome. I love that not only for the coachee getting that valuable feedback and the group effect of learning from each other, but the coach her or himself, that's another skill that they can put in their toolkit that they can then offer or think about teaching their trainees about the the elements of good coaching. And so I think that would probably empower everybody, not only on the how to improve my teaching and be a better teacher, but also how to coach. So I think you, you've got a, like a, a double whammy there. So that's just such amazing work. I just love it. Yeah, I think you're right. We spend time during the first couple sessions really talking about a coaching model and talking about those specific skills that you're alluding to, Kim, and we hope that we're creating a culture of coaching where it's really about performance improvement um, and less about, as much as possible, you know, evaluation um, from a summative perspective. Because we know all of those issues do come up for learners and even faculty. And we, again, we really want to create this culture of um, improvement. And certainly, as you know, the coaching model is all about that. Exactly. And coaching is so hot now. Everybody's all into the idea of, you know, executive level coaching, which is now kind of filtering down the ranks where people appreciate um, life coaches. So that's kind of the, the thing. And I can definitely see how 
you could tra- or we could translate or crosswalk this coaching model around education to coaching in the research lab or coaching in departmental communications and the culture of how we communicate in faculty meetings or coaching around, um, oh my gosh, I mean, anything, any kind of administrative or research work or pro- program building work. I mean, all the, the basic elements of coaching, I think, could definitely be reproducible in any kind of arena. So building that culture of coaching, I think, is just, um, it's, it's a hot thing and you've really broken new ground and I, I can't wait to see where you take it next. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other piece here that's really um, important to keep in mind is that we're we're encouraging peer coaching, yeah. right? So we know that there are not enough, um, you know, professional coaches around to to work with every faculty or trainee. And so really thinking about how you could be a peer coach or invite uh, coaching from a peer, mm-hmm. I think, is a really important skill for faculty to develop and, um, you know, sort of build skills and expertise and all those things. And certainly more cost efficient and cost effective if we can train ourselves to do that. So you're right, peer mentoring, peer coaching. Awesome. Yeah. Those are, and they're great skills to have, right? You can use them, as you mentioned, in so many settings and definitely in teaching, which is, you know, where my focus is. Yeah. What about these competencies? Get us, uh, yeah. get us trained up here. What are you talking about? Yeah, so I think this will bring us back to your specific question about some of the other programming that we've developed. So I have had the great pleasure to be involved in a committee or task force here at Hopkins where we've brought together a really diverse group of educators. We've got clinical educators, basic science educators. We have experts in curriculum development and assessment and evaluation. Um, and we've brought this group together to do the work of identifying in our local context what are the what are the specific educator roles or activities or domains of work that we do? And the overall goal of this um, work has really been to create a framework for individual faculty to recognize where they need to build skill and expertise or mastery and how they might structure their career development in that setting. So for individual faculty, it would have that benefit. For mentors or division directors or whatever you want to call it, supervisors of individual faculty, it can help them be a better mentor to help an individual faculty create their career path, if you will. And then hopefully from an institutional perspective, this work by identifying these domains of educator work and the competencies within those and the metrics for assessing those individual competencies, from the institutional perspective, that would help us to better value, recognize, and reward educators. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the overall um, goal of this work. And, you know, this is certainly not something that's unique to Hopkins. Um, the AAMC has been really engaged in this work. Um, there was just a article um, in Academic Medicine this 
last week as a head of print from folks at Penn. I think Lisa Bellini is the first author who's an educator there um, that describes this type of work um, and really for similar purposes. And much of this work, I think, is driven by the fact that our educational, well, I, I guess what I would say is medicine is changing quickly and pretty drastically. And so the role of educators is really evolving. As you know, our own institution is expanding its clinical footprint because of the way that our trainees are trained, which is also a competency-based approach. Much more of the teaching is shifted away from you know, time-efficient uh, um, models like lecturing and actually pushing learners out into um, real work settings. And so individual faculty uh, are needing to be skilled in educating in many different settings and requires many different skills. And so that is much of the reasoning behind why we are trying to create this framework, um, again, to help drive what we do in faculty development, to recognize what are the skills that we need to train our faculty up in, um, and think about things like workforce, um, and as I said, um, how can we really acknowledge all the amazing work that our educators are doing and, and hopefully reward them as they should be rewarded. So that's kind of the background of this. And so I mentioned our amazing committee, but what we've come up with is a model that really has six major domains. And the reason that I want to tell you a little bit about these is because we're using this framework of these six domains to then create faculty development offerings. And I think that's pretty exciting. So just um, to kind of orient you to, to how we have um, framed this work, the six domains are um, teaching and facilitating learning. The second one is mentoring, coaching, and advising. The third is program and curriculum development. The fourth is assessment and evaluation. The fifth is educational leadership and administration. And the last one is educational scholarship. And so the work that our committee has done is that within each of those domains, they've come up with a set of competencies. And then we're doing the work now of identifying metrics that you would use to demonstrate that someone is um, doing an outstanding job in one of those areas. What I like about this framework is it helps me as a faculty development person recognize what types of programming we need for our faculty. So, for example, I think that we've got teaching and facilitating learning pretty well covered. As I mentioned, we have a longitudinal course. We've got a two-day teaching camp that the content changes every year, and we get folks from across our institution, regional. And last year, um, we had uh, individuals coming from across the country to our two-day teaching uh, camp course. Mm -hmm. And then we also have our half-day courses that we offer for Program and curriculum development, we have a really robust curriculum development, faculty development program that's led by Belinda Chen, Dr. Belinda Chen, and there is a longitudinal course similar to the teaching skills longitudinal course where uh, individuals or groups of individuals come to that 
um, mentored longitudinal course with a idea for a curriculum and then go through the curriculum process from soup to nuts, if you will. Her team also offers two-day, half-day curriculum development programs and in an effort, so my dream, Kim, is that for these six domains, we would have a foundations course for each one that would be offered at least once a year. And so our faculty could make their way through these half-day workshops that would be considered foundational. And ultimately, uh, a faculty person could have a certificate to demonstrate that they have participated if it was their interest in all six of those domains mm-hmm. and that that would be meaningful for a um, for example for a promotional package to demonstrate that they are participating in continuous um, professional development and improvement right. so for example in addition to having a foundations course for teaching and facilitating learning and curriculum development we have, as you mentioned, we've morphed the turning your everyday scholar, you know, educational work into scholarship. We've morphed that into now we have a half-day workshop called Foundations of Educational Scholarship. Um, and again, it's foundational, but it provides a really nice overview for participants about what makes medical education research unique. Um, it takes uh, our participants through, you know, how to come up with a good question and problem. We have representatives from our um, information services there to lead individuals through, you know, things like literature searches. We bring in a panel of um, faculty who have been really successful in medical education research to talk about their past, to talk about resources and opportunities for grant funding, and then we have opportunity for individuals and groups in that half-day course to share their ideas and get feedback with some experts that we've brought in for that um, day. So we offer that um, typically about twice a year, and we're in, I think, um, uh, about our first year of offering that course. And so we'd like to continue to build the foundation's courses to include mentoring, coaching, and advising, assessment and evaluation, and um, actually medical education leadership. So we're in the process of working on those using this framework that we spent a lot of time talking about and thinking about to turn that into a useful product for faculty by creating this series of half-day workshops. Love it. Unbelievable. This now this um the competency domains has this been presented nationally and are you um are we working to get this like a, across the um you know other mac- medical centers and adopting this you know because you mentioned a certificate so is it currently we're not really standardized in in the way we're thinking about this across the country or is it pretty much matching up with other institutions competency framework structure Yeah, so that's a really good question. So I think what we're, um, what we, I think what we're experiencing both here at our institution and then nationally is definitely over some time a movement to create a a framework for educators. So I mentioned the AAMC has, uh, Group on Faculty Affairs has done a lot of work on this, um, beginning probably in the mid 2000s and they've published on this 
and there are several other individual academic medical centers and schools of medicine who've at least published similar work. And I think that what this demonstrates is that every sort of institution is facing similar pressures, right? So, you know, moving um, education and teaching into many, many different areas, many um, sort of frontline educational roles, the need for many more well-trained um, teachers, um, and this competing pressures of the clinical productivity that we all know um, we're facing. And so I think every institution is recognizing that and, and trying to come up a, with a way of, you know, supporting educators, supporting um, quality education, and also recognizing the work that educators do, rewarding and and promoting educators or clinicians for this work. And so, you know, different institutions have created different models, but but they're very much similar if you kind of look what's out there. The other thing that I think is driving this is that we know that our accrediting bodies, so for example, the LCME, which accredits our medical school, does require that institutions show evidence that faculty are being trained in teaching skills. And while faculty are not required at this time to demonstrate competency in teaching skills, an institution is required to demonstrate that these faculty development um, in teaching skills programming is being offered. And so that certainly in the future may evolve. It's possible that that could one day be a requirement that individual faculty demonstrate either participation in teaching skills um, programming and faculty development or potentially even competency. I don't know what that would look like. I don't think any of us know. Um, but it's something to consider as potentially down the line. But I see this work that we're talking about here as foundational to addressing um, where we're going in in medicine and medical education and what potentially could be um, required of faculty in the future. So to summarize, the answer to your question is individual institutions across the country have been doing this work. There have been national groups like the AAMC who have been doing this work. I think in most cases the frameworks overlap pretty consistently. I think individual institutions are doing the work on their own as well because as much as our institutions are similar, they're very different as well. And so local institutions need to really determine what teaching looks like at their institution, um, how you might measure teaching at their own institution, um, how um, you might demonstrate, you know, excellence in teaching. So th there will be a local component um, at every institution, but I think the framework um, has faith validity across institutions. Yes. Well said, well said. This Really good point about the accrediting. And so if, if you're listening out there, you know, let's, you know, keep in mind, we all work 
in universities. You know, universities are, you know, institutions of higher learning. So education is part and parcel of what we do. So the fact that, you know, these frameworks exist not only for accrediting, but just for our own growth and development. And, and, you know, as Rachel said, to value, recognize, and reward us as educators, you know, do know that your institutions want to help you succeed as an educator and support you and your ongoing development in this area and definitely demonstrating by these competencies and different metrics how you can be promoted at your institution. So I guess if if your institution, and I know many of the institutions do, you know, have these resources as Rachel talked about, but if you don't and you want to learn more about what we do, for example, at Hopkins, uh, we do have this great resource that Dr. Levine mentioned, the Institute for Excellence in Education, the IEE, has a two-day summer camp. We'd um, encourage you to come and learn from that. Or um, I'm sure Dr. Levine wouldn't mind communicating with you offline. Her email address is rlevine3 at jimmy, J-H-M-I dot E-D-U. Again, that's rlevine3 at J-H-M-I dot E-D-U. Um, you can find out some more about her on the Faculty Factory website. That's facultyfactory.org. But um, again, there's a lot lot going on in this space. As uh, Dr. Levine mentioned, it's moving fast. It's um, we're we're really up for some pretty big changes. But there's there's new technology, new learners, new styles. So it's a really hot, cool place to be. And I just want to thank you, Rachel, for spending some time with us. Um, I learned a lot, and I'm sure people out there are excited and encouraged um, to, you know, really, you know, recognize how important the education is and know that there are people out there like you who are thinking about this and working hard to help us with our skills. So thanks, Rachel. Anything else you want to say before we stop? I want to say thank you. This has been great. I, I really want to end with, you know, I, I love how um, you're ending in such a positive way. I really agree. I see this as such an opportunity. You know, what gets me really excited and what I'm most passionate about is thinking about how people learn and how, as faculty, we can do a better job in our teaching, how we can design our sessions or activities to really build on the strengths of our learners and also fit best with the principles of learning. I get super excited about that. So I'm, I'm really thankful. I feel like I feel really fortunate that I'm sort of right. I'm at the right time in the right place for all of these, you know, sort of changes, even though they're bumpy and they're challenging, I really feel like it's going to make education better and potentially has the opportunity to to really create a lot of joy and satisfaction for educators. Yeah, well, and we are so fortunate to have you and the doing the hard work you do and your passion for. Maybe you'll come back on the podcast and talk about the work you do for women, and we can talk about our women's leadership course. Uh, Dr. Levine and I have uh, put together a two-day leadership course for women physicians and women faculty that we've offered at Bogota, Colombia. Again, I want to thanks, uh, give thanks to Rachel Levine, my friend and colleague, our Associate Dean for Faculty Educational Development here at Hopkins, and thank you for tuning in to the Faculty Factory Podcast. Talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement 
in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.